Well, hello and welcome to this uh, very special edition of uh, Not Just True. Well, I'm not going to be joining in too much. In fact, in a few moments, I'm going to be handing over to my uh, colleague, uh, Simon Costello. As tonight, we've got the head of uh, Care Skills Pro, who's going to be talking about uh, mental health. Now, he's also a, a registered mental health nurse. And this, this is a, a subject that's very close to Simon's heart. I thought I'd give the entire platform to him. So have a listen to Simon and Stephen. Hello everybody, my name is Simon Costello, as you well know from Not Just Crew, and alongside me this morning we have Stephen Davis, who is a registered mental health nurse and a clinical educator, uh, and we are so pleased to welcome you today with us at Not Just Crew, Stephen, so Hello, how are you doing? Hi, Simon. Thank you. Yeah, re really well. Thank you. Brilliant. Listen, I'm so grateful for you popping on today because, as you are fully aware, that uh, our journey with Not Just Crew, from the very humble beginnings of a year ago to up to 10,000 members within our group, along that way, we have had many of our members who have struggled from time to time, myself included, and we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later on. But uh, we have had some members. Uh, struggle from time to time, reaching out uh, within our community uh, to myself, looking for advice, whether it be the reasons for losing their jobs through aviation, struggling to find an alternative career, the immediate separation from people who probably have flown about 25, 30 years, and that's all they've really ever known, and that's all they've ever wanted to do, and unfortunately, uh, for no fault of their own because of COVID-19, as so many people have suffered, they found themselves out of work. And it's also had uh, a knock-on effect on their own family lives. You know, maybe it's the with a partner that doesn't fully understand, you know, the, the, the anxieties that they're going through, you know, and the close bonds and friendships people have created through flying. And just the, the connection that you do get through that airline when it's been such a big part of your life. And uh, suddenly it's all gone. And... Uh, Obviously, throw a few kids into the equation as well, then you've got mouths to feed. <coughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been a very challenging time. Now, I've spoken out openly in the past regarding my issues and uh, my concerns with my own mental health. But, Stephen, we brought you along. You've kindly agreed to come on the show and, uh, and just to share your knowledge and uh, how, how you can like give your advice to so many of our amazing special people out there about mental health. So just over over to you for the time being there, Stephen. Brilliant. Thank you, Simon. I mean, I think it, it's it's been an interesting year for everyone. Um, it, it's brought out some of the best and the worst in people, uh, and it's given us some real highs and some uh, surreal lows. And I think, you know, if we start with mental health at the beginning, let, let's just start off with everyone has mental health. You know, there's no health without mental health. Um, it, 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 you know, it doesn't discriminate. It, 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 it's one of those conditions where anyone or everyone is prone. Um, and there are there are risk factors, I guess, which would make somebody more at risk than others um, to to experience mental health. Uh, and I think the first job really is is we just need to work on the stigma that's attached to mental health, and just have conversations like this to help normalise that, Simon, because. I'm sure you're aware in your role um, when you're out working on the ambulance that 
that there's still some of that stigma and, and some some of the language which is still used around it kind of makes it harder for people to talk out or ask for help because they feel that they're being judged or or, or they feel that they're mad or crazy. Um, so, so so kind of terminology like that doesn't help uh, during kind of people coming to terms with mental health. And then really, you know, once we've come to terms with the fact that we all experience mental health, we can then have a normal conversation about it. Um, and it, it's important to recognise that we all just have very different resilience levels and different coping mechanisms. And that, that kind of comes from maybe our childhood up. Um, what one person can deal with on the left isn't necessarily what the other person on the right can deal with. And we we tend to we tend to say to people, we tend to be dismissive to people about maybe some things that, that could be upsetting them or impacting them. For example, you'll have somebody go, oh, you know, that's not a real problem. Last week, my mum died and it starts to become a competition. Uh, and actually, anything could trigger somebody's mental health. It, it could be the smallest of things. And we always have that phrase, you know, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Anything could tipple or, or push somebody over that tipping point to where they start to experience signs and symptoms. One of the things to be kind of mindful of really is around kind of what would constitute, you know, a normal feelings and emotions, but B, then what starts to become a, a significant problem in somebody's life. So, so what are the triggers? What are we looking for? And how long should we be feeling like that? Uh, because I think it's really important that we just don't go around labeling everybody with mental health because that can't that's sometimes not helpful either. You know, we have gone through difficult times, you know, so I'm sure every single one of us have sat down and cried at some point throughout this year going, I can't cope. It's all too much. I feel isolated. I don't know what to do. But that's not uncommon. That's a very common feeling and a, and a normal emotion for the stress that everyone as a country has gone through. And actually, probably not many of us have opened up about that on, on how hard it's been. And if we did open up about how hard it's been, we'd start to realise that that behaviour actually is a normal behaviour. And we then don't need to be so hard on ourselves with it. So a bit of self-love goes a long way, because if we can love ourselves a bit more and not be so hard on ourselves, and think we have to hold ourselves together all the time, that then it stops it becoming this longer term problem where we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing it down. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess really the golden rule of thumb is this two week rule according to NICE guidelines, which is if you're experiencing feelings of low mood, tearfulness, um, insomnia, or maybe too much sleep, feelings of, of negative thoughts, um, kind of starting to lose your appetite, all, all of those things associated with low mood. If you've experienced those more than two weeks, you really should go and speak to a doctor and start to look at that because two weeks is an average period of time for somebody who's experienced a negative impact to recover from that. Um, so such as, you know, bad news, loss or grievance, uh, generally two weeks is enough time for those feelings to start to get better. Um, obviously, it doesn't necessarily go away and it can take longer, but as long as you're coming down from that feeling slowly. Um, but if you feel you're going up and things are generally feeling a lot worse over those two weeks, then we start to recognise that actually that is a mental health problem there and something that we need to look at to help address. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there's so many, so many different techniques and things out there that we can do 
to help alleviate that and hopefully through this discussion we can talk about some of the things in which you can do both um, you know by yourself or as part of a group or, or with helping with some medication um, so yeah so I think I think really my, my years of experience and I've got 22 years plus and very much like you Simon I think a lot of people that work in in this industry have had experiences um, you know, and personal experiences. And that's kind of what brings you into the profession because you kind of want to make a difference. You want to help people and you want to alleviate suffering. Um, but but I think it all starts with loving yourself and not being so hard on yourself and, and recognising that actually it's okay to feel the way that you feel. Um, yeah. it, it's not necessarily a sign of weakness. It, it is actually a recognised emotion to what's going on around you. Um mm -hmm. So, would, you, yeah. would you say, Stephen, uh, other than, like, I know you were saying about going to your GP, are there any other, like, outlets out there if people don't really want to go to the GP, people might not have any trust or confidence with their uh, general practitioners? Yeah, anywhere yeah else I people? mean, th 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 there's so much stuff out there now, Simon, so much stuff. It really is a, it, it really is the case of kind of doing some homework and looking around what's around you. Um, there's lots of free services uh it, it really depends on what you're going through to what's going to help. Uh, and it's really important to, to say, you know, not one thing helps everyone. So unfortunately, it is a, a tried and tested method. You know, um, some people respond really well to talking. Some people will respond well to exercise. Some people will respond better to, to maybe medication. Uh, and then it depends on what your mental health underlying condition is. So if we looked at things such as anxiety, so, so that's that, that um, inability to manage those, that, that, those uh, irrational feelings and, and you get that fear and the palpitations and um, the, 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 the fear of panic. So really for an anxiety, one of the best forms of therapy is CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, um, because anxiety really is a thought led uh, condition where you, you've got something that's maybe happened in the past. So it could be a trigger. Um, it could be a fear or a worry and or a phobia. And, and actually it plays on our mind. And what starts to happen is as that plays on our mind, our heart rate, heart rate increases. As our heart rate increases, we start to sweat. As we start to, to uh, sweat and our hearts increase, and we breathe more. And then as we do that, we, we end up, you know, having those panic attacks and that fear just becomes overwhelming. And, and actually what seems to be the best uh, treatment for that is, is talking therapy and, and working through um, the original trigger. So really going back to root cause analysis, find out what the original trigger was and trying to manage some of that for the anxiety doesn't work for everybody because you know medication either talking or or chemical doesn't you know it depends what works best for you so it, it's really the case of kind of looking at what's out there um some of the best stuff that i've used in the past with people's self-help books or self-help apps so in your app stores on your phones if you typed in anxiety disorder um, you can download apps and there's some great things in there such as mood diaries so you can start to track to see well you know why am I feeling like this what what's made me feel like that and when you can start to draw a picture it's really helpful to go to a doctor or a therapist and say look actually every time I think this or every time I do this this seems to be the behavior that comes to the back of it um, and that gives them a really good starting point Wow. exercise distraction techniques so there's there's loads of stuff before popping a pill that we can do to help manage anxiety 
Um, there's a great resource online called Mood Juice. Uh, it's from Scotland's NHS. And I have to say, some of their resources are fantastic. And you can download this, it, and it's a self-help book. And basically, you go through this book and you read it. And it's not a big one. Say it's, it's about 15 pages, I think. And there's lots of scenarios for you to jot your own thoughts and feelings down. Right? And, and you can kind of almost self-help yourself because you start to recognise what is your trigger. So that's kind of anxiety. Uh, and the other thing is that there's the GLAD assessment scale score. So you can go online. There's lots of questionnaires that you can do. So if you type in anxiety um, tools or assessment tools, there's like checklists that you can go through. And at the bottom of it, it'll give you a score and it'll tell you kind of what your anxiety level looks like. Uh, it's the same one that the doctor normally does with you when you go to your doctor. They, they give you a piece of paper and go fill that questionnaire in. Um, so the GLAD scoring system um it's gad and 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 at the end of that it gives you a bit of an insight to your own kind of thoughts and feelings uh, and and it rec and it gives you an opportunity to recognize how how maybe unwell you actually are because sometimes we can live in denial sometimes we don't even recognize that we have it and when you do this assessment you're at the end of it going well, I wouldn't have put me up that end of the scoring table. Um, so it's, it is a useful tool. It's a useful tool because sometimes we can live in that denial. Uh, so that that would be anxiety. Uh, and then the other one, really, I guess that that's uh, quite a big one at the moment is then depression. So, again, very similar uh, side effects and, and symptoms to the anxiety, apart from you have this long period of time of lows. So this kind of real black hole feeling. Um, and with depression, it, it very much is the case where we enter into that hopelessness stage where nothing seems possible and everything just seems unbearable. And if you're having those thoughts, again, very similar. There's, there's an assessment tool out there, um, which is the PH9 tool, assessment tool. So you, again, you can Google it, download it. You can do this assessment tool online and it'll tell your scale of, of depression. So whether you've got it mild to either quite severe. So that's a really good starting point, kind of just doing yourself an assessment. Uh, from there, just talking about how you feel, if you have it in you to talk about how you feel, uh, it can obviously be really difficult because when you are that low, it doesn't feel that talking is going to help. Uh, and actually, it really does because you know every journey starts with the first footstep and, and you, you've just you know got to get yourself to that same as mood juice there, there's online tools for, for helping with depression so you can download these workbooks great apps for depression um lots of talking therapy apps are online so there's a there's a free app that you can download called seven cups uh seven cups is an online counseling service so you can talk to somebody immediately just over the, the the phone and you can text or there's one called shout um and what i can do afterwards i'll i'll give you all these numbers and things so there's lots of organizations out there in which you can go to um just to kind of offload and, and just try to release some of some of that stuff that's going on the reality is with depression it's more than just uh, your mind playing tricks with you. It's your serotonin levels and your brain just depleting. Uh, and serotonin comes from sunshine. It comes from eating well. It comes from lots of green uh, food. And serotonin is the chemical that's released. You know, we call it the happy chemical. It's released from when we do positive things. So if we run or jog or, you know, if you have sex, 
it releases the chemical. It releases that happiness bit in our brain. See, we all love that. It releases the chemical yeah. and we smile. <laughs> What is um, that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. That that little smile we have during sex, that's the serotonin kicking in. Um, now, obviously, when we're not feeling well, that serotonin just isn't being released to the same amount. So at this point, we, you know, it is useful to talk to the doctor because you're there, there's then the opportunity to talk about medication at this point, which are the SSRIs, which is the serotonin rehibitor uptakers. And basically that that's your good old phylloxetine uh, in the old days that was called Prozac. So we're talking about uh, tablets to help manage that that serotonin release back to the body. The problem with that is the serotonin tablets uh, for for antidepressants can take anywhere between two and six weeks for them to work. So, and what tends to happen is people take them for two or three weeks, go, they're not working and they stop taking them. And the problem is they don't work instantly and it's not a quick fix. And the, the side effect to a lot of the antidepressants is depression um, because it can make you feel quite low that you're now at a point taking a medication to manage your feelings um, and obviously it's trying to re-regulate the serotonin in the mind to, to get it better. Um, so if you are given a serotonin uh, rehibitor, an antidepressant, do take them for at least six weeks, because if you don't, yeah. they're not going to work. Um, and then actually it becomes really dangerous to stop taking them as well, because your 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 mind is is now relying on on this to help release the serotonin. Uh, and by stop taking it, you can actually cause yourself a much worse dip. Um, and there are there are thoughts in there where it can lead to, into suicidal thoughts, because, again, uh, it's really important that you continue that. Normally, you'll be on an antidepressant for up to six months. Now, what nice guidelines state is that we have to give the tablet at least six months to see an improvement in the body. So when you are starting an antidepressant, be mindful that you're probably going to be on it for six months. So this isn't a quick fix. It's not an overnight thing. And I think that's probably some of the misconceptions around medication, Simon, where people start taking an antidepressant and think, oh, I'm going to feel better next week. Yeah. And when they don't, it just it starts to spiral. I don't feel better. This isn't working. I now feel hopeless. So kind of summarising all of that up, we, we then have two other things which we would recommend from a mental health front. There's a thing called social prescribing. So social prescribing really is looking about what's in your community look at your groups look at your charities look at any local organizations and just look at things that can fill your day with distraction uh, and that might be learning new skills it might be baking it might just be going for those long walks but the idea is you get yourself a routine and a plan to try and manage some of that or we've got what's called green prescribing and green prescribing is where we start to use our outdoor space uh, exercising, running, you know, just doing something to increase the heart rate. And again, we know when the heart rate's increased, it releases the serotonin. If you're against medication, there is the serotonin diet. So there is a diet out there. If you Google that one, the serotonin diet replaces a similar amount of serotonin as what an antidepressant would do. So, again, you can eat lots of broccoli and greens. Uh, and, and there's evidence there to suggest that actually you can put serotonin back in the body in a natural way. So equally you know i think for the depression it starts off with do yourself an assessment measure how you're actually feeling recognize the fact that if you're feeling low 
that that actually it could be your your triggering and dripping into depression go and see your doctor you know explain to them this you know this is how i'm feeling this is the result that i've got talk about things that you're trying and things that you're not trying but recognize that feeling of hopelessness that that feeling of that big black hole it's quite a dark place to get to. So those that have been there, you know, when you, you know, I'm sure some, you'll talk about this as well, but it, it, it is quite a hopeless and helpless place to be, that black hole. Um, and there's a wonderful thing online called the black dog. And it, it's a great thing to watch because it really does explain depression on how this gray black hole hovers over you. Uh, one of the things that I've I've always said you know to people because i i've been in that black hole as well is when you come out of that black hole nothing will ever be as bad as that black hole so you can start to live your life based on the fact that you're a never going to go back to that black hole uh, and b you start to see light again um so when you have hit that rock bottom um i always say the only way is up at that point you know it's hard it, it could be a hard journey and everyone's going to give people advice and guidance and what works and what doesn't work um i we, we just need to recognize that depression is unique it, 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 it everyone will experience it in their own way um and you know people have their own thoughts and preconceptions and what should and shouldn't work and what you should and shouldn't do it really is about you knowing who you are as an individual and what you think will 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 work for you um so they i guess they're the probably the two the anxiety and depression Mm-hmm. uh and yeah what i would say is lots of self-help lots of online stuff that you can do lots of talking therapy for both of them um looking at your diet vitamin d so important you know if, if our vitamin d levels are low we're gonna feel low it's it's as simple as that you know for you guys that that used to fly all around the world and we we're all bronzed and tanned and we're here pasty and transparent um <laughs> you were getting your natural vitamin d Meanwhile, we're having to sit there popping our thousand UHs or whatever it is uh, a day to try and get the same the same sunlight happiness. Um, and the problem is we're not traveling, so we're not getting the sun. And we've just gone through winter as well. So we've got the added uh, seasonal affective disorder on top of us because we've not had proper sunshine. So, again, it, you know, it's been a rough six months because I think this winter just seems to have been a bit longer as well. Not that it's necessarily been snowing, but it's just been cold, cold. and grey quite a lot. We just yeah. haven't had much sunshine, have we? No. Um, so, yeah, so, so I guess I guess they're my top tips, really. Um, a good mm-hmm. vitamin. Listen, I, I don't know how you do it. The, the, the knowledge that you can just, like, uh, deliver like that, it, it, it's amazing. First and foremost, but uh, it's absolutely priceless bits of information for so many of our friends and our and our family at Not Just Crew. Because, I mean, not just within this group, but when I'm actually at work and my colleagues as well, we all suffer from time to time, and it's 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 not exclusive to like anybody. It's you know, it's it's there. It's every everyone can suffer from this, and. Uh, People just think, well, they always say to me, well, where do I go to? Who do, who do I talk to? Who do I talk to about this? Yeah. For the start, you're talking to me, which which is yeah. a good a good start because you're talking about it. So it's really good. So I can I can sit there. I can listen to what's going on. And then they go, do I go to a doctor kind of thing? And exactly what you've just said, Stephen, it's not just your GP you can go to. There's so much help and support out there other than your GP. So, you know, your choices are not limited. So, 
kind of like I'm trying to I'm going to put myself back into I'm flying mode. I'm flying. Yeah. I'm long haul. I'm on the planes. I'm surrounding myself with uh, amazing, positive, like-minded individuals. A great community uh, working for the airlines, and everybody's in the same mindset. Everybody's upbeat. Everybody's bubbly. Everybody's personable. Everybody's quite passionate. All the individuals I used to meet uh, when I used to fly were, were, were like emotional, emotional breed. You know, like I say, wear, wear your heart on your sleeve. All kind of the same people. So, with that, like, on the table, yeah. uh, as well as the lifestyle that you're undertaking, which obviously includes drinking, partying, uh, socialising, and staying up late. You've just done a 15-hour flight. Boom, you're straight out. Uh, showered, changed, put your wig on or whatever you want to do. <laughs> Paint your nails straight out of the bar, and then you're up for 10 more hours. Wow. And if you maintain that lifestyle uh, for a prolonged period of time, I'm not talking about a few weeks, a few months, I'm talking about years, things are going to take its toll, you know, on your on your physical aspects. And, of course, your mental side of things as well. You know, you're not like what you were saying, Stephen, you know, keep on your diet, eat your greens, breathing exercises. Kind of all of that used to go out the window back in my day in the late 90s, early 2000s and all that. So you're not looking after yourself. Throw a little bit of emotional circumstances into the equation. Family matters. Maybe you've got children and you don't see the children anymore for whatever reasons. There's problems on that personal matter. You're still having to fly. You're still having to do different things, you know. And back then, other than family, who do you turn to? You don't want to be turning to your friends because... You don't want them to let you know, you're this bubbly, upbeat character. Nothing bothers you. you. You know, you're invincible. So you don't really want to bore your friends with those details. You want to keep the partying going on. But all the time, these emotions, these thoughts, these Whirling. events that are going on in, in your life are there. They're still there all the time. They might disappear when you're, when you're hammered. Uh, but the next day, you're waking up with a hangover. You've still got those problems. They're still there. And the harder to deal with because you're not in the best frame of mind, you, you, you're hung over to hell. So years and years go by, go by. Things are still not getting any easier at home. You're still having problems uh, on the family front and all that. There's all kind of other problems coming into the equation. You're getting so tired. You're having to go to the solicitors. You're going to court. Things are getting more and more tricky. So for me personally, when I was so far away from home and still flying and living down south and not really having anybody close who I could call really close to turn to, maybe one or two who understand the situation I was going through, but it still wasn't the support of a clinical nature that I needed. It was just mainly, come on, you know, like I'm listening to you. Let's go out, have a few drinks. Still in that cycle. Things kind of can get to a point where that whole it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, if you're still drinking and drinking and drinking and you're still getting hit with a hammer and it keeps beating you down and then you kind of, it can get to a point where you, you, you kind of, you're looking in another direction where it's not your, your friends and it's not a t the support you should be looking at. You're kind of looking at a way out really to end this because you've had enough and you can't be bothered. You're just sick and tired of being denied what you truly want. I'm not going into details of what that actually was. I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, and 
it's like you feel as if you're beat. You feel as if you're beat. You feel as if, screw it. Yeah. What's the freaking point? And when you do reach out to maybe your family, the advice that you get is not the advice you're looking for. The advice you're getting is just walk away, uh, come home and just forget about uh, your, your daughter. On? Yeah. Yeah, whatever, you know, and it's like, that's not what you want to hear because you are this emotional, passionate, caring person that just wants to be there for that individual. And uh, so you're hearing that from someone who's like really close to you, but you're not getting what you need from them because they're very old school kind of thing, you know what I mean? They've, they've not been brought up and things aren't available like they are now to us, knowledge-wise. And you're like, oh, my God, that's not what I want to hear. So it's leading you further over to that big hole. And then you actually you start creating a plan to uh, to just stick yourself in that hole, you know. Uh, now, mine was alcohol again, a lot of pills, uh, and just disappear and be gone. So... If you do, if you do get to that stage, guys, you know where you are thinking of it. I'm begging and pleading for you, firstly, not to. I want you to please reach out, because my trigger point for not uh, completing that selfish act in my, you know, in my eyes, it was I was I was being selfish. That's what that's what kind of stopped me, in just hearing a certain young lady's voice uh, over the phone, and then it was like no. No way, because like in the past, I'd had so many friends when I was a postman and obviously through flying where there was a lot of suicides. It seemed to be everything that I was hearing about. Somebody was uh, unfortunately uh, having a like going through suicide, you know, and I would see the devastating effects that it would leave behind. Uh, it was massive, the effects that it would leave behind on uh, friends, family and and just the confusion and not understanding why somebody would go ahead and do it. And there's, and it was kind of those thoughts came to my forefront. And I was like, no way am I just going to go away and leave that behind because I don't want other people to kind of like go through what they have. And, uh, and, and that's what kind of brought me back from, from that kind of experience. But it's, it's, it's never gone away. It, it never has gone away. It's just eased off. I kind of know. I rec- all this, all those things that you discussed, Stephen, earlier. I recognise the signs uh, and symptoms with me. Uh, I know when I'm kind of like getting to a point where I need help because I'm kind of I'm very snappy. I'm like I do become withdrawn. I'm like I don't want to talk to people. I'm very anxious around people. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's if my friends or whatever. You know, I just want. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to. I don't want to talk. And I'm like. I'm I'm seeing the negative things in so many things when I'm not that kind of person. I know I'm not that person. I'm I'm very positive and upbeat, and I just want to see and 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 feel the best that I possibly can. Again, it's wear a heart on the sleeve. It's the passionate person. It's I've always been this person since I remember at school. I've always always like flitted around from groups to groups to try and make people happy because it made me happy. If I'm around happy people, then I'm a happy person. You know, mm-hmm. so. So it's kind of that's that's the what I want to say to people. It's don't go down that route, please. Please reach out and like recognize the 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 th- the things inside of you that you kind of like. Well, this isn't this doesn't feel right. I'm I'm not the person I know I am. Uh, 
all those the places that you discussed, Stephen, about where you can go to, your GP and and all these apps and the places you can go to, which I might add, we're going to post on at the end of the show a list of all the all the, the places where you can go to to get the support. But like, as I say, and I still suffer now. I had a bit of a wobble last year when COVID kind of hit. And uh, I, I totally recognised my wife did as well. She noticed, but I, straight away I got help. I, I, re- I reached out. I spoke to the relevant people. I arranged for counselling. I got, I got lots, of, I got lots of counselling. I spoke to this amazing lady who just sat there and listened and let me offload and all the things that were in my mind and what I was talking. I did. It didn't matter how trivial it was. Uh, we talked. We discussed. And just talking to her just like released so much inside of me and that's how I find it it can truly and really help and I'll always do that I'll I'll, I'll always kind of like offer my support to people as well because I, I will just sit and listen I'll listen there's no quick fix answer like you said Stephen there's no quick fix to this you might be having to deal with this for the rest of your life but you you can manage it you can manage it you know and uh and and it's not easy. It it, it never is easy. Uh, but listen, what we've all here. This is what this group. One of the reasons this group's here for, and what you're here for, Stephen, is to offer help and support to people who need it. And there is a lot of people in our group who really need it. And they ask me privately. This is why we do these shows, so I can get you with me, Stephen, as well. Uh, because I do get quite overwhelmed with it because I, I really feel for these individuals. And, and yeah, it does affect us because I care, you know, and I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to feel like you're in this position where there's no way out because there is a way out. There is a way out, you know, and uh, this is what we're here for, to show you that there is. So, Simon, some, some really interesting things there just to kind of pick up on from a suicide prevention point. So, first of all, men are more likely to commit the act of suicide than women um, because of that inability to speak out and ask for help. So we hold it in. Equally, if we're balancing a lifestyle of sleep deprivation, substance misusing, or or we're we're using substances to help manage our, our emotions, what that does is it throws our emotional regulator off. So we're not able to think clearly. Um, and the airline industry, as well as the nursing industry, are up in the top 10 jobs that most at risk of affecting mental health because of the, the, the stress on the body and all, and all of that stuff. So recognising the fact that actually the jobs that you do or you have done puts you in a vulnerable position anyway. What we tend to have around suicide prevention is the fact that um, we, we need to look more at the positive risk factors around somebody than the negatives. So, for example, somebody who is more at risk is somebody who is saying to you, you know, I haven't got my family anymore. They've just left me. I've just lost my job. Um, I've just lost my house. So the moment you see somebody's world literally crumbling around them, they're losing their protective factors. So that makes them more at risk. Now, what I'm not saying is they're going to do it. What I'm saying is they're more at risk. So it's it's really important that we don't panic and jump to the conclusion that everyone's going to do this. But we were able to sit back and, and kind of empathise and sympathise with somebody to go, you know, that must be really hard for you. 
one of the most important things that I learned through nursing uh, comes from a gentleman called, I can't remember his last name, it's called Davis Interview Structured Techniques. Again, it's a nice guideline thing. Um, and the most important thing anyone can say to somebody is, how can I help you? You know, what's the most important thing I can do for you right now? So I'm not telling you what I think you should be doing. I'm not telling you my advice or my opinion. I'm asking you, what is it you want me to do for you? And if you ask somebody that, you're going to get a response back because it's an open question. It's quite loaded. And, and people aren't used to being asked that question. You know, what can I do for you? What's the most important thing I can do for you right now? And by doing that and listening, you're able to kind of formulate an idea. So when we break down all of the things that are going on, so maybe someone's in debt. OK, you know, there's no easy fix there, but there are debt management plans. There are organisations and charities like Turn to You that will help you with debt. So let's write that off. You know, that debt shouldn't be a reason why we're thinking of ending our life. It, it, it's money at the end of the day. You can go bankrupt for £750 and start your life over again. It, it's an easy, you know, it's easily done. And, and again, in, in this climate, lots of people have been in debt. Um, or you could do an IVA plan. So debt shouldn't be a reason. I know it's not nice, but there is a lot of help there. Then if we look at family and, and kind of relationships, again, it's not nice. But there are legal frameworks there and where people can help you and you can get the advice and guidance to help repair things. So even if your relationship falls apart and, and inevitably in most situations, you know, a lot of relationships have failed recently. Um, it's about that contact with your family. And, and actually what you want to hear is how can I maintain that? Not let's walk away from it, but what can I do to maintain that? So, again, lots of charities, lots of advice, lots of guidance out there. Then if we look at kind of eating you know, well, if, if you haven't got money, how are you eating? Right. OK, well, let's look at that. So actually what you need to do with somebody is listen to everything that they've told you, break it down and create a plan for them and go, right, this is what you've said to me. What help have you got for that? Because what happens is we pull it all together and that big picture then creates that black hole because now it just seems helpless. It's too much. And actually, it's, a, it's that phrase, isn't it? I'm eating that elephant. You, you kind of eat an elephant in bite-sized chunks. You can't do it all in one go. And if you break every problem down with a rational mind, every problem has a solution. You just need that help, that, that support in somebody listening to what the problem is to guide you to it. And that's what repairs hope. Uh, and with suicide and the thought of suicide and people ending their lives, they haven't got any hope. That hope has gone. And what our job is is to repair hope and to show that actually you know okay you've lost your job it's a horrible situation for people to be in however there is hope out there you could upskill you could learn a new trade you could do an apprenticeship you could you know there's lots of things out there to help you rebuild that you know because you've lost your job it doesn't mean that's the end of your world it's just the end of that chapter and it's the start of a new one and it is difficult to come to terms with stuff, but it, it, I think I think what tends to happen is it's a lot of people get the poor advice when they're feeling quite low or they're told to get over it or, you know, oh, that's not a real problem um, because they haven't opened up about all the other problems. What I would say is if you are feeling suicidal, there, there's two two major risk factors with suicide. One is if you're an impulsive person. So if you've got a personality 
Uh, and you, everyone knows their own personalities. If you're quite a lively person, you're quite outgoing, you're a bit of a risk taker, you're that person that gets up on that bar, you have a few drinks, you whip your top off because you think it's a good move, you're what's known as a, an impulsive... Yeah, I've saw the videos. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> yeah, I was. So that's an impulsive personality. We live for the minute. The problem with those types of people is they make snap decisions really quickly. And therefore, suicide becomes a very quick decision. And, and it's not something that that can be helped because then it, it fixates and it's fixed in the personality in the mind. And now all you've got is end it, end it, end it, end it, end it. And what you need is somebody to break that cycle of thoughts because that thought is just now going around and around and around. And just by having somebody there to go, stop, breathe, talk to me you break that cycle and it really is as simple as that you know there's been so much evidence that there was a, a, a video on uh, channel four the man on the bridge and he had that thought what's the point what's the point what's the point what's the point and a stranger came up to him and said did you see that everton match or something and and it, he was like what 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 i'm just about to do something ridiculous and you're asking me this question but it was enough to break that cycle so impulsive people tend to need somebody just to reach out to them, tap them on the shoulder and go, stop. Then you've got the planners and somebody that's quite meticulous, somebody that starts to do things and starts to act differently. So these people, we can start to put a risk assessment around them. We can start to monitor them. And for those people, we're talking about maybe somebody that starts to plan things. So maybe they've been low in mood for a long period of time, but now you see them and they're happy and you're like, Hmm. We don't just go from happy, you know, from sad to happy overnight. And what that could be an indication of is they've got a plan to alleviate all of this pain. The second thing is they start to, to get rid of things. So they start to give away their possessions. So it's almost like this living will thing. You know, I want you to have this. I want you to have this. I want you to have this because that's them kind of uh, preparing and planning. Then maybe they've started to think about plans. So they're starting to say to you, you know, actually, I'm thinking of doing this. So somebody who plans, you can start to see a change in behavior. They start to give their stuff away. Maybe they've written a note. So again, you've got a little bit more time with those types of people because they want to make sure everything's right and all their affairs are in order. So when you see somebody's behavior completely change, then actually that's a real trigger sign that maybe they are thinking of doing something. In both situations, the key messages here is ask them. Just simply say, are you having suicidal thoughts? Mm -hmm. Because they're not going to come up to you and go, I'm thinking of killing myself. But if you say to them, are you having suicidal thoughts? It's a simple yes or no. And if they say yes, the next question you need to be is, you know, how often are you thinking of this? Because if they say to you, it's on my mind all of the time, that's another red flag. Because actually, it's like anything. And I, and I, I put it down to buying a pair of shoes in a shop, although it's a terrible kind of comparison, but, but go with it. When we go into a shop and we see something, we think, oh, I want to buy that. You walk away from that shop and you think, oh, I really want to buy that. 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 And then you've gone and bought it. And you've done it without even realising. And the next thing you know, you've got this new pair of shoes in your bag. Um, and, and it's that behavior, that thought pattern that you need to break. Because if somebody come up to you and said, don't buy those shoes, they're bloody awful, yeah, you're not going to yeah. buy them because no, that don't. thought pattern's broken. So it's about trying to break that thought pattern. 
what I my my strongest strongest advice here for anyone that you are worried about of suicidal behaviour is I'll, again I'll give you a link for this. Uh, it's called a crisis card, and it's a simple piece of paper. And on this crisis card, it's basically a few advanced decisions. So it's these are the people you can call if you find me in a really vulnerable p position or situation. This is who I don't want you to call because actually I don't want them to know how I'm feeling. Uh, and and this is you know so, so it's got key information on there, and and it's really important that they have a crisis plan because if they're impulsive, the crisis plan will say go to A and E, go to this place, or go to this place. So it's about saying to somebody, you know, if I was your mental health nurse, Simon, I'd say to you, right, Simon, where's your go-to place that keeps you safe? Where do you feel safe the most? And if you said to me, you know, I feel safe the most at my house with my wife. Then if I see that on your crisis plan, that's where I'm going to take you. Because yeah. I'd go, have you got a crisis card? Let's have a look at that plan. Great wife. Because actually, if I took you anywhere else, you're now going to start thinking, what's the point? You know, you're not listening to me. You're not hearing what I'm trying to say. So we all have a go to place where we feel the most safe. Um, and when somebody's vulnerable, they just lose that ability to keep themselves safe. So it, it's down to us to kind of work with them so i'll pop this crisis card on afterwards because it you know it's a great it's a great tool uh, to give somebody a crisis plan and go when you recognize when you feel that or those thoughts start coming get out your crisis card read it and remind yourself break those thoughts remind yourself where you need to go and what you need to do to keep yourself safe absolutely i'll, I'll tell you what it takes the, the things that you're just talking about there, it's it's just so true. I mean, like the job that I do now, uh, obviously on the road with the ambulance and all that, uh, when I go to jobs and I kind of, I go into another gear when it ever comes to matters of mental health or just uh, behavioural change in individuals. And I'm quite good at low back pain. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> all things that I've experienced, uh, they, this is why. But the mental health, it's like whoever I'm working with, which is normally Carol, who's my colleague, who's fantastic. Uh, anything to do with mental health or behavioural change in individuals, she kind of hands them over to me all the time because some some people's patience levels, tolerance, and adapting like abilities maybe not their strong point. I'm not saying Carol's aren't. Uh, I'm yeah. just saying you know, like I've had a lot of experience in. Yeah, it's in, your strength. Like, yeah, working together, she understands and, and, and sees that. So when I'm like faced with that individual, it's and they're all at all it's the end of the world, that they, they want to end their life kind of thing. Just as you were saying, Stephen, it's like I'm looking around the house, I'm looking around the property, I'm looking for things, I'm looking for clues, I'm looking for things that can give me more information about this individual uh, to strike up some sort of like common interest uh uh, an understanding, something like an attention getter. We used to have them on the planes, little attention getters, just to kind of like distract them from like this lull and this like frame of mind that they're in. And it just kind of like it puts them off guard. They're like, what? You know, like, and, and then that's it. I've got, I've got, and I've got their attention then. I've mm -hmm. taken them away from like, you could, there's nothing you can do. It's that's normally what I get. There's nothing you can do. It's nothing you can do. Pointless you being here. It's pointless. Well, straight away I say, well, who, who's rung for the ambulance? Yeah. And and it's them. You know what I mean? And it's like you're looking for help. You're looking for support. You know, a lot of the times they'll ring the crisis team and they just want to chat 
And then when they hang up, the crisis team ring us and then we go along. So they didn't want an answer to come. But anyway, uh, I can I can have those conversations with this uh, individual. And, and next thing you know, the, the, at the beginning they're saying, I'm not going to hospital. There's nothing they can do down there. But the thing is that we can't, we, we've got a duty of care. We can't just leave the individual at home and put and leave them at risk kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My ultimate goal is to get them to hospital, to get them to speak to the crisis team or to the to the to the mental health nurses down at the hospital just to kind of give them that you know that breathing space that 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 opportunity to get down there so they don't do anything that they might regret kind of thing and it's and then I'll sit in the back of the ambulance for about an hour because it's a long drive for manic to the hospital and by the time we've got off this ambulance nine times out of ten it's like you think this person was my best mate you know what I mean we're having like we're in we're having so many good conversations about anything else other than suicide. Mm-hmm. But like what, what I really, what, because like my, my care with that individual, it ends at the hospital when we do a handover. It's uh, it can kind of like go back to how it was two hours ago, but I've built up that relationship and I've had that patience with that uh, patient with the patient. And then sometimes it all goes to, to pot when it gets to the hospital and then we're back to square one. So there I get frustrated, but there's kind of nothing I can do about that. I just know that I've done everything that I can possibly do in that mm-hmm. meantime for that person. And I'm going to say I enjoy doing it. I'm glad I've got that kind of like skill set and that ability to do it in the patients because I can understand what's going on in their mind. They might say, say straight away to me, you don't understand, you don't understand. But then when I start letting them know a bit about my past history, yeah. and just like they do understand and then they do kind of like, and there's a lot of them turn around and go, I think you need help more than me, Simon. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, like we'll have a laugh about it kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm but just it's normalising, isn't it? It's normalising. Yeah. You're basically saying, look, yeah, I'm on the same yeah. level as you. Just because it's I'm not... a, a healthcare worker, Absolutely. I still bleed if I cut. Absolutely. And they taught, and they get that at the end of it, you know, but like not at the very beginning. And uh, it's and, and, and that, it sounds horrible saying I enjoy that. It gives us satisfaction. It, it, I'm glad I can do that. I don't. I'm not going to say I enjoy it. I'm not very good with words. You might, you might have guessed that. But like, I just, I just, it gives us that satisfaction that like I can be there for that person when, when they need the help, kind of yeah. thing. It, uh, mm-hmm. But it's about talking in the same language, isn't it? If, if you yeah. talk in a different language to somebody, they, they, they kind of go, I don't need this. I just want somebody who's on the same level as me. Um, mm. So actually. you know we spend three years in our nursing degree kind of learning to talk as we're talking now which is hard because that's how I talk anyway (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't really get this course Um, but you know when you've got people come from a very academic background and they're having to come down and I'm going oh I'm really comfortable on this level (laughs) whatever you want to talk about I'm not going to be offended let's go for it yeah Yeah. And, and actually Nine out of ten times when I've dealt with um, people that have have been in in the, the you know in the act of suicide or, or or in really bad places, I can get them to laugh, you know. And yeah. if you can get somebody just to smile, you know mm-hmm. you've done a good job because actually it, you, you know you've broken some of that negative negative thought. And there's nothing worse with a smile because as soon as you've seen somebody smile, you know you've got them because they you go, yeah. look, I see you smiling, <laughs> and then they Ta-da! can't help but smile. <laughs> And then you turn up to the hospital going, they need help. And they're going, but they're smiling. There's nothing wrong yeah. with them. Yeah. And you feel and like, like, well, kill, 
keep that smile on the face, will you, please? Oh. Yeah, half an hour ago, they weren't smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you I put mean, this person in for? There's nothing wrong with them. But you're like, yeah, oh, exactly. Oh. And 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 again, that's a judgment thing, isn't it? People just look at somebody and they read them by their facial expressions, and you're like, yeah. just because they're smiling on the outside does not mean they're smiling on the in. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the biggest skills is being non-judgmental. Just keep your opinions, keep your thoughts to yourself. And just if you are talking to somebody, just allow them to talk. And, and like I said, the best the best piece of advice that I can ever give somebody is say to me, how can I help you today? What's the most important thing I can do for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you when you finish a conversation, the best logging off thing to say to somebody, I'm wondering, is there anything else you want to tell me? Yeah, because you could have gone through a whole episode of talking to somebody, projecting and listening, but they haven't actually told you what they needed to tell you. So yeah. by giving them that last opportunity to say, just before I disappear, I'm just wondering, is there anything else you want to tell me? You've just invited them for that whatever, because it takes time to build trust, doesn't it, Simon? It takes time yeah. to build that rapport with somebody, um, and you know, and and I think what most people are afraid of is being judged. Yeah. They're scared yeah. that you're going to judge them. Absolutely. Um, so that's why straight away, they're scared to be judged. They don't want to kind of like say what they've got to say because you're going to judge me straight away. You know, you're absolutely right. So what I'll do, uh, as I said, I'll, after this, I'll, I'll email you the, the numbers and, and the, the crisis cards and, and yeah. some of the CPD, CP, CPT <laughs> stuff. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you can obviously forward that out to your members. And for those that are unemployed, little plug, we can always get you a job and you can do an apprenticeship as a nurse. Plugs Absolutely. in. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and get, those, get, get those skills and all these things that we've been talking about. You can be like... You can be the one giving the advice and helping all those amazing people that need it out there. That could that could be you with Care Skills. Yeah, Pro, you two could you know? be like Simon and Steve. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Stephen, I'm absolutely, I'm super happy that you've come on the show. It's you've been an absolute joy to have on. You're always a bubbly character. Uh, we love seeing you, and the information and the knowledge that you've shared with our members uh, is priceless. Honest to God, it's priceless. And it's been a help to me as well. It always is. And uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, guys, that's it for this evening. We hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. And thank you so much for watching us and not just crew, myself and Stephen Davis and uh, Trevor in the background producing. We wish you a very good day. Well, I don't know about you, but I found that episode really, really uh, humbling. Um, and it went a lot deeper than, than I expected. And uh, I must admit, I'm seeing the uh, uh, mental health thing in a, in a very, very uh, different light. And I'm glad Simon presented that um, uh, episode because I know it is a subject very, very close uh, to his heart. On there, you may have heard mention of a, uh, like a, um, a crisis sheet. Now, uh, Stephen and I have got together along with Simon, so we've produced our own one, which you can find on our very first edition of the newsletter. If you haven't signed up for it, go to the uh, bottom of our uh, website, which is uh, www.notjustcrew.com. Now, at the bottom of there, you'll see sign up for newsletter. Sign there, 
and that sheet will be in our very first edition of our newsletter. Um, so, humbling stuff, but thank you very much. And uh, join us again uh, next week. Take care all. Bye-bye-bye. <laughs>